0: Once we did encounter some challenges, because we were part of your network and because I have an investment counselor, I always felt like I had somewhere to go for an answer. Um, I always felt like I had somebody with more experience than me that I could lean on, and if Sarah didn't know the answer, she got the answer.
1: tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors.
0: Welcome to episode 1259, 1259. Today, we'll be covering part two of future pricing and real estate P.E. ratios with our investment counselor, Doug. Now, Doug has been working with us for about 10 years or so now, and uh, he has uh, been on the show many times, so I hope you're enjoying this episode. He approaches things from a very analytical perspective. Before we dive in, go to jasonhartman.com slash cruise and check out our upcoming cruise in October. It is getting close, folks, so we hope to see you there with super high speed Medallion class internet. I know a lot of people get on a cruise ship and they're afraid. Will I be able to connect? Will it be expensive? Can I do it from anywhere on the ship? It is cheap, and it is high speed, and it is all over the ship. So medallion class internet on this cruise, jasonhartman.com, right on the front page of our website or directly jasonhartman.com slash cruise. Here we go with part two, future pricing and PE ratios. Let's talk about the investment markets. Let's talk about commercial real estate and cap rates, residential market, and you know, you can also apply a cap rate to it, obviously. But I think the rent-to-value ratio is more simple, obviously. And then the stock market and the P-E ratio and how future expectations influence all of those.
1: The way to think about a cap rate or a capitalization rate is to say that if you purchase a property for cash and then you had, the, you had the rental income and then the operating expenses and you looked at what you're left with relative to what you paid, what is that as a percentage return? And the way that the pricing dynamics work is that for a given property, as the price starts going up, the capitalization rate will start going down. This is actually very similar to a yield on a bond. So if you see that the yield on bonds are going down, what that means is that the price you have to pay for that stream of income payments is going up.
0: Right. By the way, a little note on that. That's why when you hear someone talk about the bond market, it influences mortgage rates or interest rates in general, because when bonds rally, interest rates decline. And when bonds decline, interest rates go up,
1: right? Okay. And bonds actually have another really important element, which is that government bonds or, you know, there's a bunch of different types of government bonds. But When people say government bonds or treasuries, they use those terms synonymously. But the uh, government bond interest rate is what finance people call the risk-free rate of return. So Mm -hmm. in other words, if I go buy a 10-year government bond, the chance of default is zero. Now I have inflation risk, but basically I can get a rate of return from government bonds for zero risk.
0: And in reality, it's not really zero risk. Yeah. But at least historically, the only default on that has been inflation, which is yeah. a default in a sense. But go Well, ahead. let's say for,
1: yeah. for zero repayment risk, right? because right, yeah. as, uh, as you and I <laughs> okay, have both said, there are sometimes yeah. when I get more concerned on the return of my capital than return on my capital. Beautiful. Well, well said. Well said. So, yeah. Yes, you have zero risk of return of your capital for bonds. You You will get your money back and you will get a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is sometimes you'll have things like the capitalization rate for commercial properties start getting close to the yield rate for government bonds. Well, when that happens, that's stupid because if you purchase a property, you have risk, you have huge downside risk. And if you're getting no more return than the risk free rate of return, right, you don't have risk free return, you have return free risk, right? You know, you're taking risk that you're not getting paid for.
0: Okay, okay. I think I think you got to slow down and just uh, suss that out a little more there. Sure thing. So okay, why is it a huge risk to buy a property? And well, yeah, just uh, explain that a little more elaborate on that one.
1: Sure. So for example, let's say that we you buy a property that's it's a it's a strip mall right has about say two anchor stores and about 20 other stores,
0: right? Right during the retail apocalypse. Don't do it, yeah. folks. Okay, yeah. go ahead.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. So what could happen is right, you could have a major tenant who says, All right, you know, major tenant goes bankrupt because most anchor tenants at most strip malls are grocery stores. Having a grocery store is an extremely low margin business and consolidation has been going in that industry for a really long time. So you could lose a major tenant, now all of a sudden your cash flow takes a hit. Mm-hmm. You could lose some minor tenants, now your cash flow takes As a hit. As the
0: strip mall oh. owner.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. You could could get a new regulation that comes through the local municipality. All of a sudden your compliance costs went up, but all of your tenants are locked into leases. And so what that means is your margins just took a hit. There could be a really bad crime or a really bad accident. You could get a lawsuit. There's all kinds of ways you can lose money when you have an active asset like commercial property. What typically happens is that when you have additional risk with an investment or an asset, that it should earn a higher rate of return. And the thing that you're looking for as an investor is, I want to look for a rate of return that is high relative to the amount of risk I'm taking. Right, right. So
0: that's known as the risk premium. Exactly. Okay. Right. As an investor, you are entitled to a risk premium because the investment is more risky, so obviously you should expect more.
1: Or if you don't get a risk premium, you're stupid. Okay, That's calm down. Calm,
0: don't be so harsh, Doug. You know, someone, <laughs> some, someone is out there listening, and they're thinking. I'm stupid. Oh, and then they're going to write me a bad review on the show. Don't say I, I go, that. Let, yeah. Okay.
1: Well, let, let them write to me because I've done plenty of stupidity in my own life. And so the, the way that you improve is to figure out what, what you've done that's stupid and yeah. stop doing uh, okay, it. Okay.
0: All right. All right. Sorry, folks. Doug's a little harsh. Okay. He, I'll tell you one of the reasons he's like that. He drinks like six cups of coffee every day, and it's just too much. It's too much. Got to got to limit it to three. But go I ahead. Cut it down
1: from eight. So. Oh, okay, yeah,
0: well, there you go. Progress. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> progress. You see, yeah. you just stop doing things that are stupid. There I didn't stop know. entirely, but at least I cut back. <laughs> <laughs> You're only a little stupid. Okay, go ahead. a little stupid. Yeah. Exactly. But what happens is right. Typically as an investor, if you are going to take risk, you should be compensated for it. And I don't want to make it seem like I'm trying to talk down or belittle people. There are a lot of people who myself included, who have overpaid for stuff in the past because you get emotional about things. But, you know, rationally speaking, Anything that carries risk should have a risk premium and the thing that you want to understand as an investor is what is the reasonable amount of risk that I'm taking and then what's the premium that I'm earning for that and is that greater or less than the real amount of risk because if you consistently invest in situations where the amount you're earning exceeds the amount of risk you're taking you will do very well over the long run. You know, that's fundamentally what Warren Buffett does is because is what he does is he says, hey, look, you know, if you give it a long enough amount of time, anything that I buy is eventually going to regress toward its fundamental value. So it doesn't have to be a great deal.
0: Let me just interject there. So during my Creating Wealth conferences, I talk about that a lot, the concept of how income property, you just always win as long as you can stay in the game. It's a game of staying power. And to be able to stay, to buy the right to have staying power, you need to have sustainable investments, which means you follow commandment number five, the property must make sense the day you buy it
1: or you don't buy it. Go ahead. And exactly, just kind of pinning on that a little bit. So, you know, for example, you know, let's say you have a property that generates cash flow, and let's say that the market, for whatever reason, just doesn't do that well. Worst, worst, worst case, you're amortizing that thing down, and in 30 years, you're going to own it outright. And so, you know, say you know, even if the price compresses by like 10 or 15 percent, you know, let's say you have a value outflight. You've still been generating cash flow or even maybe the cash flow compressed at the very least You're still amortizing out that loan and I think the benefit of real estate that a lot of people don't really get or don't really Understand is that there is a lot of embedded risk protection or there's a lot of embedded risk containment in a cash flowing property with a self-amortizing loan and so that's one of the reasons why I say that it's self, stupid self
0: let's let's call that what I like to call it self liquidating debt self liquidating yeah yeah right. self liquidating debt right and what that means is that the debt basically is it's paid off by the tenant it self liquidates normally you have to liquidate your own debt if you borrow money to buy a car or you have a student loan that's debt that, you've got to liquidate you've got to pay it off, you've got to pay it back, but with income property, it's so beautiful we can delegate the repayment to the tenants correct yeah.
1: So, you know, what ends up happening is, you know, when when you're able to buy at a decent rent-to-value ratio to where your cash performance is going to offset your loan costs, offset your maintenance costs, hopefully even generate some additional cash flow, right? You know, now you have a lot of embedded risk protection. The amount of ways that the deal can go sideways is pretty limited. You know, anything can go sideways if enough weird stuff happens. Mm-hmm. But if you have a portfolio of these things together, the chance of something weird happen for every, happening for every property in a portfolio of properties is really low. On the other hand, you know, let's say you go for the townhome in San Francisco that you paid $3 bucks
0: for. All your eggs are in one bad basket. <laughs> All your
1: eggs are in one basket, and yeah. you're getting paid no risk premium because you're taking on a lot of risk. Right. And your returns are entirely speculative. Right. And you know, when the bottom will falls you know, out no, of that market. No, not, not
0: entirely. I mean, look, you'll probably of that your Well, you know, in San Francisco, you'll probably get, let's think about a for million dollar a minute, 10000 of a month if it's not rent controlled, okay? a a but you should be getting $30,000 a month if you had a 1% exactly. RV ratio. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, right, 10000 a month isn't going to be anywhere near enough to, pay the, oh, well, course, you know, to cover so. the mortgage yeah, payment, right, insurance, right, right. and taxes. Yeah, yeah. You'd probably cover taxes. You might get insurance, and you might cover, I don't know, like maybe a few months of mortgage payment or something like that. But so much of the return profile is speculative that you're taking an enormous downside risk mm-hmm. that's so big that you'll effectively be wiped out before you get to the point where where you can say you know, where the price is at the point where you can say okay i can ride this out
0: right and then you'll be saying things or, or you'll be crying about things like well the market's going to go up the market's going to go up it has internal value everybody wants to live here because it's such a desirable place and all these crazy rationalizations and then you will remember warren buffett's quote uh or maybe it wasn't buffett originally you know what is it the market can be irrational longer than you can than you remain can solvent
1: remain solvent <laughs> exactly exactly yeah.
0: okay so what else do you want to say about this let's apply it so rv ratios let's Mm -hmm. be specific about rent-to-value ratios here for a moment okay the rent-to-value ratio the rv ratio and i coined the way i do it about 15 years ago now other people have used that term rent-to-value ratio but they had like funky ways of calculating it that I thought were just silly, you know, my, my, my way is simple. Okay. It's just a percentage of value every month, right? Mm -hmm. And so we like to get a 1% rent-to-value every month. If we can, that has definitely become a lot more challenging in recent years because why? Well, the market has gone up. Just like bond prices going up pushes yield down, right? Because you have to pay more for the property, the bond, Mm -hmm. and the rental income's about the same. On the bond, the interest rate is the same, right? But the value of the bond went up. So same exact concept. Now, that 1% rent-to-value ratio, just to give you some comparison, because I'm always saying compared to what is the magic question for almost everything in life, compared to what? And if you look at during the Great Recession, when people were very scared to buy properties, you could get yields on rent-to-value ratios of up to, and we had properties like this, and many of our clients bought them, but not enough, <laughs> including yours truly, I, I didn't buy enough, of 1.8% per month. So $100,000 property, $1,800 a month. Wow, incredible, incredible. And lots and of them at 1. 1.4, $100,000 property for 1400 a month. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that I was thinking about too with the Great Recession Because a lot of people are like, okay, you know, I'm just going to wait until the next Great Recession because it was such good deals. But there was really a perfect storm that probably won't repeat. And the perfect storm that you had in the Great Recession was you had giant price compressions because everybody was afraid. And you had low interest rates. And the reason for that is because the recession was driven by the housing market that chances are the next recession will not be driven by the housing market it's going to be driven in some kind you know it'll basically be a credit cycle recession which is where you're going to have a number of businesses and people that are over leveraged and they're going to start defaulting and then that's what's going to drive recession
0: and if you ask me you look to Consumer debt, credit cards, student loans, and auto loans. Auto loans. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. But what that means is that the things that's really going to drive the price of the houses down isn't going to be massive waves of mortgage default. It's going to be higher interest rates. So as an investor, if you're buying at a lower RV ratio today, you'll be buying at a good interest rate. If you wait for a higher RV ratio in the future, that may happen, but you're almost certainly going to be paying a higher interest right. rate and you right. may or may not have better net cash performance.
0: And I'm glad you um, you brought that up because RV ratio is just the quick rule of thumb metric. Of course, we look at overall return on investment as a much more reliable thing. As you all know, I don't love cap rate. I think it misses a couple very important factors, but we don't need to go into that right now. Okay, so future expectations, but here, here's the real magic question in this whole discussion. This is what, if you're not thinking this is the thing you wanna know, then let me tell you, this is the thing you wanna know. <laughs> and what you wanna know is when do we know if it's a bubble? When do we know if it's a bubble?
1: I after mean, it bursts. well, <laughs> that's true. The sure. only way, you know, it's a bubble is after the prices have already started going down and just, it's too late.
0: Just, just like saying, just like saying, how do you know how much your property is worth? Well, put it on the free market, expose okay. it to lots of buyers and have someone buy it from you. And then you'll, that's the ultimate appraisal. <laughs> okay. Yep. That's uh, the only way you know. Every other appraisal is just someone's opinion. I think we do have some real clues to a bubble, whether there's a bubble or not. And we can look at, in the stock market, the price-to-earnings ratio, the P.E. ratio. Mm -hmm. In the real estate market, we can look to the RV ratio, the rent-to-value ratio. And I think we can make a good educated guess on whether or not We're in bubble territory, whether or not this investment makes sense, and follow commandment number five. So I say that the ideal number is 1% per month rent-to-value ratio, $100,000 property, $1,000 a month. You're doing great. You can go down to... Can I caveat that a little bit? Sure, go. Go.
1: I would say the ideal is 1% on a rehab turnkey. If you're doing a new construction, 1% is very unlikely. It's probably going to be closer to about a 0.7.
0: Well, that's so funny you mentioned 0.7 because that's exactly the number I was about to say. I think a 0.7 is an acceptable rent-to-value ratio. In other words, $100,000 property, $700 a month as an example. That's just a ratio, but you're not going to get new construction for $100,000, that's for sure. So say it's $200,000 and it rents for $1,400 a month, same example. But here's the thing. You've also got to take into account, as you just alluded to, Doug, the class of the property. So if it's a—and this is what a lot of shady promoters are out there doing. They're promoting C and D class properties— and the rent-to-value ratios will be great, but <laughs> it doesn't on work. Paper. Yeah, on paper. Because, Good luck collecting that rent. Exactly. Try to collect the rent. So you want to buy quality properties for the best rent-to-value ratios you can get in quality areas, right? That's certainly the answer. And you want to be able to sustain those properties long enough to earn your return, the Warren Buffett philosophy. You don't agonize over whether the deal is good or not too much. You just buy quality and you sustain. You wait. It's funny, just a little aside here quickly. One of the things I always said, well, other entrepreneurs I know and to myself because self-talk is probably the most important conversation you'll ever have, is that the key to success in business is staying in business long enough for something good to happen. Because every day in business, bad things happen. (laughs) No one can disagree with that. Business is really complicated. There's so many moving parts. So bad things are always happening. But you got to stay in business long enough for something good to happen. I I know it sounds kind of trite, but it's really quite true. Because amazing, just fortuitous things do happen to businesses all the time. But uh, a lot of them aren't around anymore to take advantage of those. Earl Nightingale said, luck is what happens when preparedness meets opportunity. And to some extent, the same is true with your real estate
1: portfolio, right? Exactly. I mean, and to me, I really think of it as coming back to making sure that you're earning a risk premium and or paying reasonable prices for the performance. Because I think the thing that you're talking about with the shady promoters that will take the C and D class properties and basically write, you know, compare them against B class properties and write them up in pro forms with assumptions that are appropriate Ridiculous. for B class yeah. properties. Well, and they it, it, like you, they
0: never have any vacancy, and they're oh, not exactly. going to have any repairs, and everything's going to be perfect.
1: Oh yeah, good yeah. luck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we have a you know, a two-bed one-bath house that was built in 1910 <laughs> in, in Detroit and We think it's gonna rent for eight hundred dollars a month with no vacancy and no repairs. Yeah, but yeah I think you know a lot of it really comes down to appropriately understanding right, you know What's the risk that you're taking and what's the offsetting return and? Is the ratio between the two of those reasonable because you know if you consistently keep that in mind and consistently make certain that you're, you know, that you're investing at a reasonable risk return trade-off, over the long term, you're going to be fine. You will not run into problems.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. Okay, so when is it a bubble? When the rent-to-value ratios get to 0.5 or below that, it's a bubble. You know that that's when a bubble is coming. Of course, it's an estimate, but now that I've been doing the investor-only business, for 15 years and I've been through the great recession. Okay. Um, I would say when you're 0.5 or below in rent to value ratio, you better be careful. And some areas, the cyclical market areas of the country, they never get above 0.5 in most property types. You know, if you're in Los Angeles or orange County, California, where I'm from, you'll see a 0.3 rent to value ratio is the norm. In other words, a $600,000 property that rents for 2000 a month, give or take. I mean, it's a rough thing. But if you're at a 0.3 or a 0.4, you've got a problem. That's just a property that will never make sense. It will never be sustainable. And the likelihood is there's going to be a correction.
1: Yeah, I think 0.5 for RVs is probably right about there. The way that I would think of it is that... I try to think, what's the level of rent performance that you would need to offset the costs for essentially zero, you know, reasonable costs for zero cash flow if you purchase property at the market value? Because that level, that's going to say, okay, you know what? I can be sustainable here. I can purchase the property, I can carry it, and I cannot have to drain money into it every month. That, to me, is that kind of break-even point. The further you get away from that and the price appreciation category... Then essentially what you're doing is, you know You've just gotten to the point where you're not earning any risk premium and all of your return and your returns getting more and more and more Speculative and so saying exactly when we're at a bubble. You can't do it But you know, can you say are we in bubble territory? Absolutely You're in bubble territory in stocks bubble territory bonds bubble territory real estate, you know We are much cyclical market real estate True, yeah, yeah, cyclical market real estate. Oh, sorry. I, make the I distinction. Just, I just, I just have my Case-Shiller hat on. What, yeah, what, what, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jason, there's only one real estate market right, in America. It's, exactly. It's, exactly. I go, it's not a composition of like 100 and something MSAs. It's, yeah, <laughs> right. Right.
0: Well, no, 400 MSAs. Yeah, 400 and, and, MSAs, and, yeah. And, and And the Case-Shiller index with, I mean, the primary Case-Shiller index, I know they got another index, but the one that everybody's quoting has 20 markets and 15 of them are cyclical. <laughs> they're, they're totally weighted. 75% of that index is weighted into cyclical markets, only 25 in hybrid and linear. It's so stupid and absurd. But show me someone in the news media that understands that and, you know, I'll buy them a cup of coffee because, or give them a hug, okay? <laughs> because because they just don't get it. They just don't get it. And, and it's amazing that you've got a Nobel laureate, Robert Schiller, who just doesn't even mention that. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously, this is what passes for economic predictions and prognostications and statistics and, you know, translates into investing advice. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's shameful.
1: Although I would say, uh, dear listeners, be thankful for the collective idiocy of all the prognosticators. Because if they articulated things accurately, then you wouldn't be able to get properties for as good of prices as you can. It'd all get bid up, just like everything in the stock market and the cyclical markets. Yeah. The short-sightedness of the people, of the talking heads on TV, is the reason why there are still deals out there.
0: Yes, embrace the stupidity and the fragmentation, <laughs> both things, because that's where opportunity is for all of us. Doug, wrap it up with a closing
1: thought. Basic closing thought is that just learn how to be reasonable and and what is and looks reasonable. And don't let yourself get tricked into chasing after speculative returns. And it'll be really hard for you to screw up using that philosophy.
0: Good point, good point. Until the next episode, which is probably tomorrow, depending on this one actually runs. We're now running six days a week, folks. You've heard our really cool guided visualizations that come out every Saturday now. So we've got the normal shows five days a week. Then we've got that sixth show now, which is a guided visualization on Saturdays, every Saturday. Doug, thanks for joining me. And everybody, happy investing. Go check out the website, jasonhartman.com, and we'll talk to you on the next episode.